0: Alright, on to what I got to study in the last two days, rather spent more time in the Word than I've done in a long time, in a hurry, and it was good. I titled my message, When God Crashes the Party. That should get your attention, and I'll start with a story. In 1909... A company called White Star Lines started the project of building the largest passenger ship in the world. In 1910, they sent out brochures to all the different countries saying that this ship was unsinkable. One of their people even went as far to say that even God cannot sink this ship. On April 10th, 1912, this beautiful new ship, left England for her maiden voyage to New York. The next day, they picked up some more passengers in France, and on April 12th, they stopped to pick up some passengers in Ireland. Leaving Ireland, they finally headed out to open sea. Two days later, on April 14th, 1912, this invincible ship, this ship that supposedly God couldn't even sink, hit an iceberg. In less than three hours, that entire ship sank underneath the waters of the Atlantic and its passengers and crew were stuck in the freezing waters of this ocean. 1,517 people died when this unsinkable ship sank. The Titanic now sits under 13,000 feet of water, a stark reminder that nothing is invincible. We have countries, we have nations today who feel and act as if they do not need God. Nations that were built upon the foundation of God, his principles, they were built upon his principles and they've prospered because of it. And now they're trying to remove him from the Constitution. They've, done, they've been successful in removing him from curriculum. They're even trying to remove him from national anthems. We think especially of the European countries and North America, USA and Canada. They say they don't need God. What do you say? How is this world doing? Has it improved in the last 50 years? In the last 100 years? Are the moral ethics better? Are we wiser? Are we really doing well because we don't need God? We think of some of the sin issues that we see around us. Some of the functions where there's alcohol in excess, the drug problem that we currently have around us with the overdoses. There's no forethought. There are poor decisions being made. We think of the violence, the chaos, the looting, the vandalism, people cheating on spouses, living in sin as if they're untouchable, invincible, Numbers 32 says this. Be sure your sin will find you out. Proverbs 28, 13 says, he who covers his sin will not prosper. And then we have 2 Peter 2, 1, which says those who follow false teachings, which we see plenty of that around us, those who neglect the master Here's what it says. Swift will be their destruction. We need to be careful. There is a day coming when we won't be invincible. We'll be standing before God. We'll be giving an account of ourselves, our actions, and our decisions. So today I want us to look at a passage. It's a solemn story is found in Daniel chapter 5. If you brought your Bibles, we're going to look at Daniel chapter 5. And it's a story of someone who thought he was invincible. Daniel chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Belshazzar, the king, made a great feast for the thousand of his lords, and drank wine in the presence of thousands. While he tasted the wine, Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold and the silver vessels, which his father, Nebuchadnezzar, and I'm going to elaborate on that a little bit later here, had taken from the temple, which had been in Jerusalem, that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines, might all drink from them. Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple of the house of the god, which had been in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords and his wives and his concubines all drank from it. They drank wine and praised the God of gold, silver, and bronze, and iron, and wood, and stone. In the same hour, the fingers of a man's hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace, and the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance changed. For all of you that don't know old English, countenance means face. It's used in numbers where we talk about the Lord, Lord's countenance being toward you, it's face. Countenance means face. Then the king's face changed, and his thoughts troubled him, so that the joints of his hips were loosened and his knees knocked against one another. The king cried aloud to the astrologer, to bring the astrologers, the Chaldeans, the soothsayers, the king spoke to the wise men of Babylon. Whoever reads this writing and tells me its interpretation, he shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck, and he shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Now all the king's wise men came. But they could not read the writing or make known to the king its interpretation. Then King Belchar, Belshazzar was greatly troubled. Actually, some versions say he was terrified. His countenance changed even more. How can you get more than pale? I guess, white? And his lords were astonished. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came to the banquet hall. The queen spoke, saying, O king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts trouble you, nor let your countenance change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy God. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. Inasmuch as an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding, interpreting dreams, solving riddles, and explaining enigmas, was found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belshazzar now... (laughs) whom the king named Belshazzar, now let Daniel be called, and he will give you the interpretation. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king spoke to Daniel and said, Are you the Daniel who is one of the captives from Judah, whom my father, the king, brought from Judah? I have heard of you, that the spirit of God is in you, and that the light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the astrologers, have been brought in before me, That they should read this writing, make known to me what it says. But they could not give an interpretation of the thing. And I have heard of you, that you can give interpretations and explain these things. Now if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck, and you shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let your gifts be for yourself. Give your rewards to another Yet I will read the writing to the king. I will make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God, give Nebuchadnezzar, your father, a kingdom of majesty, glory, and honor. Because of the majesty that he gave him, all the people, the nations, the languages trembled and feared before him. Whomever he wished, he executed. Whomever he wished, he kept alive. Whomever he wished, he set up. And whomever he wished, he put down. But when his heart was lifted up, and his spirit was hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne. They took his glory from him. Then he was driven from the sons of man. His heart was made like the beast. His dwelling place was with the wild donkeys. They fed him with grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of the heaven, till he knew that the Most High God rules in the kingdom of men and points over it whomever he chooses. But his son, Balthasar, has not humbled your, You have not humbled your heart, although you knew all this. And you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. They have brought the vessels of his house before you. You and your lords, your wives and your concubine, have drank wine of them. And you have praised the gods of silver, gold, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know. And the God who holds your breath, your very breath in his hand, and owns all your ways, you have not glorified. Then the fingers of the hand, which was sent from him, God, and this written, writing was written, this is the inscription that was written, many, many, techo, you This is the interpretation of each word, many. God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. Techo, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Eupharsha, your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command. They clothed Daniel in purple, put a chain of gold around his neck, and made a proclamation concerning that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, was slain. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. Let's pray. Father in heaven, This story is a somber story. It's a story of warning. And even today, there is much to learn in this story. Even today, it applies to us, to our lives. As we study here, as we expound upon this scripture this morning, help us to see the lessons in it for us. Help us to learn more about you, what to do right because of who we are, your love for us? The things that grieve you? Help us to understand some of these things as we look into your word. Help us to know that you are a holy God who is still alive among people and who makes a difference in our lives. Help us to know that we are nothing without God. As a community, as a nation, even as individuals, we are absolutely nothing without you. Help us to realize this as we look into this word today. We ask in your precious name. Amen. So in the first few verses here of Daniel chapter 5, we find a description of a rather wild party thrown by this king named Belshazzar. Then we're told how this party was crashed. Right in the middle of the party, at what was probably the loudest, wildest part an unexpected and unusual guest suddenly appears and brings this party to an abrupt end. Done. That's usually how it works with party crashers, right? Usually they're uninvited and they ruin it. Well, they it sure got ruined in a hurry here. The uninvited visitor was a hand with a set of fingers. In view of all these astonished partiers, the uninvited hand writes a mysterious message on that palace wall, and no one understood it. The meaning of this message was to those people, and it's still to us today. It's what we're going to look at here. But in order to understand the full meaning of the message, I'm going to give you just a little bit of history. King Nebuchadnezzar, who he keeps referring to as his father here, had ruled Babylon for almost 45 years. By the time of Daniel 5 here, he has been dead for about 25 years. The fourth king after Nebuchadnezzar was Nabonidus, who is actually Nebuchadnezzar's son-in-law. He married Nebuchadnezzar's daughter. And they had a son who was named Belshazzar. So Belshazzar is actually the grandson, of King Nebuchadnezzar. And if you want to do your history, go ahead, look it up. That's what I found. So Balthasar and his father, Nabonidus, they are co-rulers over Babylon for a long time, for about 20 years. And then one of them, they conquer more land, more, more land. So then finally, the father, he decides to go rule over North Arabia. So he would have been up in North Arabia at this time. So, Belshazzar is now the only guy left to rule over Babylon here. And he's letting it go, like, in a bad way. So, at this time here, this great kingdom of Babylon is under siege. The armies of the Medes and Persians are trying to conquer it. The capital city at this very time here, at this very time of this party, was actually surrounded by the Medes and Persians. So why is he going ahead with this great big feast? Because he thought that he and his people were invincible. He didn't think that those guys had a chance of getting at him. In its prime, the city of Babylon was second to none. 1.2 million people lived in Babylon. The city was about 60 miles around. It's surrounded by a wall it says that four chariots, they used to do chariot races on top of it. Four four wide, they could race around on top of this wall. This king thinks he's, they're not getting in. There's no way they're going to penetrate this wall, right? Guards were constantly on watch on top of this. Euphrates River ran right through the center of the city. Um, there was a 30-foot moat right outside that wall that ran around the city. So this, this city was considered very, very much a fortress. It it was believed that no military strength could break through here. And at this time, this very time here, the city had about 20 years of supplies in it. If they never grew another crop, they could have lived 20 years off of the surplus that they had stored up in the city. There was a prevailing sense of smugness, an air of superiority, among these people of Babylon here. Belshazzar was so sure of himself that in his smug, false sense of security, he went ahead with this great big feast even while armies were surrounding his city. So what are some lessons that we can learn from this passage? Well, I want you to remember these. In our lesson today, we're going to see what happens when God crashes the party. First, Six verses. We see the king's party described. The king's party is described for us here in Daniel 5-1, I think for a reason. This party was unashamedly blasphemous. It was designed to exalt the gods of Babylon to mock the true God of Israel. They even dared to go as far as to drink their wine out of these sacred Jewish vessels. They had been taken from the temple in Jerusalem years before when, the, when they conquered the temple and brought back here. And now they're using these spoils of victory to drink out of. So picture the scene. The slaves, he's been sent for these holy vessels. He comes back to the banquet room. The dancing stops. The musicians put down their instruments. Maybe the house lights are turned up. Belshazzar takes the goblet, fills it with his own private wine, and then, smirking with arrogance, he slops the wine to his inebriated lips. As it dribbles down his chin, thousands of people look on in amazement at such a daring act, such a slap in the face to God. And then there's cheering and there's loud applause because he's still there. Nothing happened to him when he did this. The music and dancing starts again, and now with a new fervor. And then, there's an interruption to the party. Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared, and they write on the wall, on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand, it says, and the king watched as it wrote in verse five. Now, I don't know if anybody has ever kept a record of the shortest period of time for what it takes someone to sober up, but I dare say this instance would have been in the running. Verse six describes his reaction. His face turned pale and he was so frightened that his knees knocked together and his legs gave out. He collapsed. Belshazzar was so overcome by what he saw, he went limp. This guy didn't need a cup of coffee. He sobered up fast. And the application for us is this. God has a way of getting our attention and bringing things back into focus when we need it. Now, most of us would say, well, I'm I'm not in this situation. I don't need this kind of interruption to get me back. But you know what? The one sin that believers and unbelievers all struggle with, and we all do, because it's human nature, and it's pride. That's one thing even after you're a christian is one sin that we battle pride is just human nature that's why satan got thrown out of heaven that's why adam and eve fell to deceitful satan when he tempted them pride is an issue that we all have to deal with and sometimes god needs to get our attention to it here's a here's a story for you little kids Are you listening, Logan, Natalie? Here's a story for you guys. Two ducks and a rather very arrogant frog, they developed a friendship. When their pond dried up, the ducks knew they could easily fly to another place. But what of their friend, the frog? Finally, they decided they had to leave. So the frog made this brilliant idea that if these two ducks would fly with a stick between their beak, as they flew, the frog would hang on to it with his mouth and they would fly to the next pond. All went really well until a man looked up and he saw them in the sky and he said, what a brilliant idea. I wonder whose idea it was. And the frog says, mine. And he went, (laughs) boom. That's what pride can do to us. That's what arrogance will do to us. Here's the motto of the story. Don't get too big for your britches, or God will bring you back down to earth. Literally. Pride has a way of getting in the way. Pride tends to make us think we don't need God. Pride tells us we're self-sufficient. This is a sin we battle with. Every single believer and unbeliever can battle this. There is no such thing as us being immune from some of these battles. Daniel's message is simple here. In Galatians 6-7, Paul puts it this way. He says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. What do we do when we say we don't need God? We're mocking him. What do we do when we're sinning? We're mocking him. It says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Be very careful, like here at this party. Be very careful not to misread the silence of heaven after you have sinned, to think that somehow you have gotten away with something. Just because you didn't get struck by lightning, like Ananias and Sapphira, you got away with this sin. No, you didn't. Nobody ever does. There has always been and always will be a price to pay for sin. Remember this. Slow justice is not no justice. It's just a display of God's infinite patience and grace. Carrying on, we see the king's cry for help. We observe this in verses 7 through 17. The king calls for all the wisest people he knows. His enchanters, astrologers, diviners. He says, bring them. I need to know what this is saying. I want to know what this writing on that wall is. It's scaring me but I need to know what it says. Whoever can read that, interpret it, they will be made the third highest. Third highest in the the kingdom was because this. His father was first, he was second. So whoever could read that could be right behind him. The man who reads this would be just beneath the authority Mm -hmm. of those two. So (coughs) the next verses show that none of these wise men in Babylon, could read or interpret these words. In spite of the great rewards, they tried. They could not. And this caused the king to become even more alarmed, it says. Terrified. And then he calls, okay, all of you, then he calls for his mother, Hey? Right? That's what we do when we get stuck in a pinch. We call for mom. She knows, right? She's wiser than all astrologers we know. Well, Mom comes in and guess what she is actually wise. She was probably it says Nebuchadnezzar's daughter here she's Belshazzar's mother daughter of the king Nebuchadnezzar she enters the banquet hall and she tells Belshazzar that Daniel he would be able to read and interpret these letters. Why does she say that? Look at what she says in verse 11 the very first part of the verse There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy God. There's the difference. There is no wisdom without the Lord. You can have all the knowledge. You can have 18 letters behind your name, the PhDs, the doctorates. You can have all the knowledge in the world. If you're without the Lord, there is no wisdom. There is no wisdom without the Lord. 1 Corinthians 1, 19-20 tells us that God will make foolish the wise of this world. And he's proving that today. They've tried many things to duplicate God. They've tried cloning this and that. They just cannot duplicate God and they never will. He brings to foolish the wise. Daniel here is now well into his 80s. He has served under five Babylonian kings by the end of his life, and yet Daniel's life remains untainted by the ungodly culture of where he's living. Through it all, he's maintained a deep devotion to God. So when Daniel is brought before Belshazzar, the king tells him if he can read that, if he can interpret that, he would give him all these perks, the gold necklace, the robe, being the highest ruler. But Daniel says, thanks, but no thanks. He could not be bought. It says in verse 17, Daniel answered this way, you may keep your gifts for yourself, give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read that writing for you. I will tell you what it means. Daniel refused to give in to pressure put on by him put on him by the king now pressure by others is something you all face too all of us face that peer pressure we always thought that peer pressure was for kids as i get older i realize that it's not true peer pressure is for every single age group in this building we are all susceptible to peer pressure The pressure that everyone has to face as you seek to live for Christ in your life, you will inevitably come face to face with some very real temptation to weaken your conviction or your principles as a person of Christ. Sometimes it's through people. Sometimes it's just a situation that comes up. Turn with me, if you would, to Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter one, starting in verse eight. And here's here's a very wise reading, starting in verse eight. My son, hear the instruction of your father and do not forsake the law of your mother for they will be a graceful ornament to your head and chains around your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait with shed blood. Let us lurk secretly for the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them alive like Sheol. And I keep thinking of the the protests that are going on in the United States. It's just, it becomes bigger and bigger because that mob mentality. Others are enticing more and more people to get involved in this. And it says, let us swallow them alive like Sheol and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all kinds of precious possessions. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Cast in your lot among us. Let us all have one purse. And then it says this, in verse 15. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your foot from their path. Keep your foot from their path. You see, the wealthy, the influential, may sometimes make you promises. Maybe if you will only do this, uh, then you'll, you'll give in to our request, then we'll give you wealth. The larger the influence, the greater the pressure. Being under the pressure of an ungodly in influence is a difficult place to be. First Corinthians 15.33 tells us, Bad company corrupts good habits. And I've I've shared this story with you before, but I think it bears repeating. Again, for the kids, I thought I'd get a story with some animals in it. So this one has a parrot. It's about Polly. Now a farmer was bothered by some crows that were getting into his new corn. So he loaded his shotgun, and he crawled unseen along the fence row determined to get a shot at these guys who were ruining his crop. Now, the farmer had a parrot, and this parrot loved to be social, and he made friends with everybody. Seeing the noisy offenders in the field, the bird, of course, flew over there and joined them, because he was social, just being social, right? His owner saw the crows, but he didn't notice that the family pet was among them. He took careful aim, and kaboom! When he climbed over the fence to pick up the crows, there lay his pet parrot with a broken wing. He tenderly carried it home where his children met him, and they tearfully asked Dad, What happened to Polly, Dad? Before he could answer, the parrot said, Bad company, bad company. (laughs) Bad company corrupts good habits. Some of us might be there right now. People are trying to make promises to you, bargains with you. I think of young ladies when they're dating. The boy is like, oh, I'll just love you if you do this. Don't do it. He doesn't love you if he's using that line. Don't give in. If you only do what I want, there is the key, I. If it's all about I, it's never the right thing. What does God want? What would Christ want? When we face these situations, what would Christ have us do? Whose approval matters? In Galatians 1.10, Paul says this, Am I trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Ouch. Ouch. Daniel gave up trying to win the approval of men years ago here. And I'm afraid that for us, it sometimes is a learning process as well. Let's not be in bondage to men. We are free in Christ, free to say no to some of the things this world throws at us. Finally, we notice the king's answer here in verses 18 to 31. Daniel begins his interpretation by reminding Belshazzar of the greatness of his grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar. And the key section of this verse is in verse 20, where he reminds him that when Nebuchadnezzar became proud, what happened? He was deposed of his royal throne. He was stripped of all his glory. Then Daniel says this, but you owe his grandson a Belshazzar, you, Belshazzar, you have not humbled yourself even though you knew all this. This is only a couple generations. He should have known. He should have known that pride was going to lead to a great fall, like the frog. But he didn't learn. Belshazzar knew very well the story of grandpa, how his pride had brought him down, how he was humbled before God. He was a donkey. He he ate grass with the donkeys for five years, seven years, something like that. How does that not get passed down through his generations, right? You should learn from that story. But let me remind you, there is nothing necessarily mature about knowing truths about God and his word. You may know a great deal about the Bible. You may know that it says about what it says about the coming judgment. But if... If it doesn't impact your life for righteousness' sake, then what good is it? We know people, we know people who could quote the Bible, who know it better than we do, and yet refuse to live it. What good is that? Some of you may have heard truths from the Bible for most of your lives, but it still hasn't gripped you, hasn't captured your essence you can say it that way. Doesn't make a dent then. That doesn't help. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 John chapter 2. This speaks to that very same thing. 1 John chapter 2 and verses 3 through 5. Now by this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, And does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. (coughs) James, the book of James, says, be doers of the word, not hearers only. It says that's like looking in a mirror and walking away and forgetting about it. Be doers of the word. So The interpretation of this inscription here, beginning in verse 25, Daniel says this. The first word, meaning, means numbered. God has numbered the days of your reign, and he has brought it to an end. You're done. You're finished. This word was repeated. Whenever a word is repeated in the Bible, it means more intensely. So it, it was said twice. It's like, you're done. You're finished. The second word was tekel, which means weighed. You have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. And then the third word was fepharsin or paris, which means divided or separated. Your kingdom is divided <coughs> and it's going to be given to the Medes and Persians who are standing right outside your gate right now. Belshazzar thought he was safe. But he was killed that very night. His city was conquered. The party was over. The fall of this great Babylonian empire is simply recorded for us by the last two verses which read the very night Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain and Darius the meat took over the kingdom at the age of 62. Many, many, techo, parson, numbered, weighed, found wanting, divided and cast out, secure in the world, sinful before God and judged. What is God saying to us here? It's the age-old message. King Solomon summarized it this way. God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Ecclesiastes 12:14. The names change, the situations may vary, but ignoring this truth has always led to bitter consequences. Like Belshazzar, there are walls that we try to erect to hide our sin from the very eyes of God. We must see these walls for what they are, foolishness. A foolish defense that we need to abandon. There is no wall so high, no fortress so secure, no activity ever hidden that can protect us from God's eyes. He sees it. It grieves him. He must judge it. He's a just and mighty and holy God. He has to judge it. He has to bring every dark thing into light. Through Belshazzar's experience, God is strongly warning us to not forget that one day when we too will be judged by him. The Apostle Paul makes the same point by saying in 2 Corinthians 5.10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him. This doesn't mean that we need to be the one, the judge, the executioner, the punisher. We know God will. The good news is that Paul goes on to tell us the reason why God warns us so strongly because He loves us so completely. God loves you as you are, completely. You're made in His image. God, God demonstrated His love for you in that while you were still not His, He already sent Christ to the cross so that you might one day be redeemed back to him. There is no warning like the cross of Jesus Christ. The message of the cross completes all the Old Testament Testament warnings about judgment. The cross warns us the type of destruction, the awesome wrath that a just and holy God must put on to sin because of who he is. Scriptures tell us that the real glory of the cross is that he does more than just warn us. He doesn't just warn us. He also saves us from it. He saves us through the cross. The blood of Jesus blots out the handwriting of condemnation that has been written across our lives, all of our lives. There is no one. All of us fall short of the glory of God. All of us are sinners but the blood of Christ blots it out if we trust in him. We are promised by God himself that on that final judgment day, when we stand before his throne, he will see all our sins as if they were covered by that royal robe. That royal robe of Christ's righteousness, the blood-covered sins, are no longer yours. He took them. Righteousness has been freely given to us through faith. What a wonderful thing to know. That in spite of our shortcomings, in spite of our sinful nature, we can stand completely forgiven in front of a holy God. What a joy to know that. We can rest in that God's solemn promise of that. He gives it to us in Romans 8 1. Remember this verse. Romans 8 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus exclamation. Period. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage. We thank you that Even though it's a solemn story, there is lessons in there for us. We thank you that sometimes we need to look at some of these warnings so that it opens our eyes to the world around us, to the world that keeps saying, come on, come on, join us. (laughs) Help us to be true servants for you. Help us to say no to those things that would harm us, that would harm our testimony, that would even harm ourselves. Help us to look to you for our sustenance. Help us to be solid witnesses of you as we walk about here. Help us to not be judgmental of the things that we see, even sometimes the things that we see that we know will hurt others, but help us to portray the love of Christ to that. Help us to show that the gospel can change that kind of behavior. Help us to... Be something where people ask about the reason that is within us. That they want to know about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you that we were separated from you. That you chose to love us even at that time and send your son. And that now we can be reconciled and redeemed. We can come to the Holy of Holies, it says. We can come before the throne of grace boldly because you chose to love us that much. Thank you for each person that has made that decision. And Father, for those who may not yet have, please call. Please draw them. Help help to bring more to you. You say in your word that you are not willing that any perish. Let us do our part, but we know that you will do yours and do it soon. As we see deterioration around us, we know that we need you now more than ever. And Lord, we ask that you would do a mighty work, whether through us or around us or among us, but that we could see that revival. And Father, as we now sing a few more songs of praise to you, help our hearts just be ever drawn closer to you. Let us know that we are yours and that you are ours. We pray this in Jesus' precious name, amen.